Brecker had asked me to read the uh, Old Testament scripture reading for us this morning found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41 verses 10 through 20, a text that has sustained us and sustained me personally through the ravages of war and a text I believe that will anchor us in those dark days of the world's wars and rumors of wars and whatever that's going on in the Middle East, we can have the peace of God because God has asked us to fear not. And it's on the screen for you. The word of the Lord says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold my thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou warm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as shaft. Thou shalt fend them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord. And shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places, and mountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water. In the dry land springs of water, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shita tree, and the myrtle, and the olive tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, the Holy One. And one of Israel hath created it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And we do welcome you today to Heritage Baptist Church. The passage read this morning, Isaiah chapter 41. And there is a Redeemer. That's the theme of our month. That's the theme of the message. As we just sang, there is a Redeemer. And I'd like for us to read Isaiah chapter 41, just 13 and 14 as we begin the message today. 
God's Word, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 13 and 14. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying, Unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. And please read verse 14 with me. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Notice the word Redeemer in that verse 14. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He is the one whose help we need. He is the Redeemer. And this passage says that He, our great God, our Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holds us up and He helps us out. He holds us with His right hand. And He says, I will help thee, not once, but twice in these verses. It is our great God who holds us up and He helps us out. So let's pray as we begin. Thank you, Lord, that you're a great Redeemer. And we pray that this message would challenge every heart to trust you in a practical way, not just in a pie in the sky way, but Lord, in the very depth of our being every day of our lives. So thank you, Lord. You're a great Savior. You're a King. And you're our Redeemer. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today, the message is very simple. There is a Redeemer. We're going to talk about who a Redeemer is and what He does. And what is our responsibility to our great Redeemer. Well, I remember when I was a kid, when I was a boy, on vacation, the car would be almost empty of gas. And we were driving along and my father would find a gas station. The first thing he would look at when he pulled into the parking lot of that gas station wasn't the price of the gas. It wasn't the type of gas or the company. It was, did they give S&H stamps? Now, I'm dating myself, but how many of you remember S&H stamps? Some of the older folks here will educate the younger ones. Before there was Amazon, there was S&H stamps. We would pull into that gas station, and even if it was almost on empty, if they didn't give S&H stamps, my dad would drive out of that parking lot, and I would be having anxiety attacks. We were going to run out of gas. You see, S&H stamps were all the rage back in this day. In the 1960s, they were so popular that S&H stamps issued three more times the number of stamps than the United States Postal Service. S&H stamps, their reward catalog was the largest publication in the United States in the 1960s. They were the rage. They had all kinds of products. And so you, what you, you would do, you would get gas and they would give you these stamps and you would fill up this book and then you would go to a redemption center, a redemption store. But I remember when, when my dad would drive out. I, I, I still remember. He would literally drive out of the parking lot with the gas empty on empty because they didn't give out S&H stamps. And he and my mom, they just loved to collect these things because they wanted to get that vacuum cleaner. 
or that's what they would get at SNH, you know, or they would get a, a tennis racket for my sister, or they, the, the, the toaster oven, or the toaster was broken, and they needed a new toaster. So they would fill up these little books and go to this, you see, it says, Redemption Store. And you would redeem the stamps for stuff, and you would get things. And that's what one of the meanings of redemption. Redemption is simply to buy. And to purchase. It says in Revelation chapter 5, 19 that we have been redeemed to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been purchased and paid for, not with money, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when you redeem something from that redemption store, you walked out of the store, you didn't have half of it. You owned all of it. You owned the whole vacuum cleaner and all the little parts that came with it, you know, or whatever you're buying. And the same thing, beloved, when our Redeemer redeems us, how much of us does He own? All of us. He doesn't redeem just the hands and the feet and not the ears and the eyes, but He redeems the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet and the whole of our being, even to our mind and to the words of our mouth, we will see. That's one idea of redeem. It just simply means to buy. It means to purchase. Well, have you ever had this kind of day? This is what I call an ouch of a day. When you see the NYPD, if you don't have a car, just relax, it's okay. But if you have a car, and when you park in the city, you need a doctor degree to understand the signs. There's one sign, and under that there's another sign, and under that there's another sign, and by the time you get to the bottom, you don't know what it said at the top, and you're like, I don't know whether I can park here or whether they're going to tow me. Anyway, if you have your car towed, guess who owns your car at that moment? The city of New York takes possession of your car. They become the new proud owners of your vehicle. And they tow it to their parking lot somewhere. And then you have to go online and find out where their car is that used to be yours. And you have to redeem it. You redeem it. This is what it says on their website. You have to redeem a towed vehicle. You have to buy it back. You have to reclaim what used to be yours. And that's the idea of redeem. To reclaim. And when Jesus was born in that manger, the Redeemer was born, who was going to live a perfect sinless life, who would go to the cross and reclaim us because He lost us through sin and Satan took possession And so Jesus Christ was born to reclaim what is rightfully His. Are you His today? Is He your Savior and Redeemer? That's what this, that's why we get excited about Christmas. Now, another thing about Old Testament redemption, and in Old Testament redemption is really the transaction of one human being with another. Old Testament redemption is the act of a near relative, a near kin, if you will. He's my kin, right? We say that. You understand what I'm saying? He's my kin. He's my kinfolk. They say that down south anyway. They don't say it much up in New York. But I mean, he's my cousin. He's my brother. 
He's a relative. So Old Testament redemption was the act of a near relative to pay a price, to pay a ransom, to pay something, to rescue someone who had gotten himself in some kind of a difficult situation, maybe a dangerous situation. And so maybe somebody's land was repossessed. A wealthy relative could come alongside that person and buy their land back for them, redeem it, reclaim it back for them. Or if somebody got in, in the Old Testament, if somebody got into real financial hardship, they would sell themselves as a slave. But a near relative could redeem them and buy them out of slavery, reclaim them back to freedom. What a beautiful picture that Jesus Christ came to reclaim us from the slavery of sin and Satan. And of course, the most famous redemption story in the Old Testament, there's a book named the book of Ruth. And Ruth, of course, was redeemed by a near relative Boaz when Ruth's first husband died. And so Boaz, a near relative, paid a price to redeem and marry Ruth. And so, beloved, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. There is a Redeemer. And His name is Jesus Christ. And so the idea of Redeemer, we're going to see it emphasizes His deity, but also His humanity, because He became a man. He became your near relative. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He came to earth to be near to you, to each of us individually. Isn't that beautiful? To be our near relative, to buy us back, to reclaim us as his own. And in the spiritual realm, there is one Redeemer. There is one Redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. And I have these, I put these verses, New Testament verses. We're not going to look all these verses up, of course. But for your study... If you wanted to read some of these verses in Galatians, Titus, and 1 Peter, it speaks about how Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Because of sin, we're under a curse. 1 Peter says we were not redeemed. I talked about the redemption of S&H stamps. Jesus didn't put together S&H stamps to redeem us. He went to a cross and he shed his precious blood, the blood of God. The highest, the greatest price ever paid was his own life for you. Shows you his infinite love and paying an infinite price because of our infinite guilt. Jesus Christ and his precious blood redeems us. So I want to look, (coughs) excuse me, at three Old Testament passages. First in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Briefly, hopefully we can get through this. I want to see who our Redeemer is from these passages. And three very important things, and I believe very practical. And I hope that this could be a help to your spiritual life. The first thing we want to see today from this Isaiah passage is that we have a Redeemer who leads us who leads us out of captivity. And so I ask you this question. When we think of a Redeemer who leads us, and in this passage, a great, great passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, we're going to see this word Redeemer. It's used 23 times in this passage. 
And it's showing how Israel needs to be led out of captivity. They had, because of their sin, been cast out of their land and went to Babylon. And Isaiah is actually prophesying what's going to happen, how Israel is going to be led out of that captivity of Babylon back to their homeland. And so Jesus, our Redeemer, led them out of their captivity, and so he leads us out of captivity. And here's the question, a practical question I want to ask you. Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt like in some form of captivity that you've lost control of your life and felt like you just were trapped in a situation? I'm not talking about your marriage now. I'm not encouraging you to get out of your marriage today. But I am saying if you feel trapped in your marriage, there is a way out of feeling trapped, and that's to listen to your Redeemer. Not get out of your marriage, but to... Let the Redeemer lead you out of that sense of of being trapped. But He can lead us out of captivity. Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 40 through 66? It is a miraculous, I say absolutely miraculous passage of Scripture. Some have called it the New Testament in miniature. Do you know why? It begins where the New Testament begins, with the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And it ends where the New Testament ends, with a new heaven and a new earth. And in the heart of this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 40 through 66, at the heart of it, 40 through 66, what's the middle chapter? Isaiah chapter 53. And if you don't know, that is a miraculous prophecy speaking of Jesus 750 years before he was born. Isaiah telling us that Jesus was going to bear our sins as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. Incredible. Now this passage, Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, has a dual fulfillment. One in Isaiah's day, and there was going to be a shepherd that God was going to raise up. And there's a, there's a prophecy embedded in this passage that has already been fulfilled. You know what it is? God leads Isaiah to, to reveal the name of the king. He would be the king of Persia, and his name would be Cyrus. And it's in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, that Cyrus... And Isaiah is writing and saying his name 150 years before Cyrus was even born, before he was alive. And Isaiah is saying, through God, that God is going to raise up Cyrus as the king of Persia, who would be like a shepherd for the Lord, and then he would let the people of Israel out of Babylonian captivity and bring them out of their trapped situation in Babylon. But there's another prophecy It has a dual fulfillment, one in Isaiah's day and one in our day. Because who is prophesied in this passage? Jesus Christ, who is going to redeem a whole world of people, the human race, from a sense of captivity. And we are in captivity, if you will, in this world. This world, we're not home yet. This world is under the curse of sin still. And we all feel the curse of sin in our own hearts and the temptations of sin in our own lives. All of us feel and experience temptation and the power of sin. But Jesus Christ came to redeem us and to deliver us and to forgive us and to make us new. And I encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. 
And I put all the verses, we're not going to look them up, I put them at the bottom of your notes. I put all 23 times the word redeemer or redeemed appears in this passage. You'll get a blessing as you read that. But in this passage, the redeemer is called, look what he's called, I have it on the screen, the Holy One of Israel. That's in 41.14. He's called the Lord. He is God. He is Jehovah. The Redeemer is Jehovah. He's the Creator. And the New Testament tells us He is Lord. The New Testament tells us He's the Creator. The New Testament tells us He's the King of Israel. Nathaniel said that of Jesus. He's the King of Israel. The New Testament tells us He's the first and the last. This is what Isaiah tells us of the Redeemer. And the New Testament tells us as well. And not only that, but then it says He's the Lord of hosts. You know what the Lord of hosts is? The Lord of all the angel armies. The Lord of the armies of heaven. And guess what? When Jesus Christ comes back on His white horse, He's going to be the Lord of all the hosts. And we're going to be with Him behind Him. (laughs) Hallelujah. He's our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. He's the Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. He's the Mighty One of Jacob. He's the God of the whole earth. What a powerful passage of Scripture revealing Jesus Christ. But I want you to note, because we're still in Isaiah 41, I just want to make one important point here from this verse, which it says, He is Lord. He says, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, in verse 14, Isaiah 41, 14, and ye men of Israel. In other words, worm, you know, worm? (laughs) Worms aren't very beautiful, are they, by the way? Worms might feel pretty bad about themselves. Worms might feel like they're pretty vulnerable to destruction. Worms, you can just smash them, and that's the end of them. Pretty easy thing to kill. When you see a worm, you don't run away in fear as if it were a snake. If you see a worm, you just see a little mushy thing squiggling about. And that's, some, that's how Israel felt. They needed to be redeemed from that sense of worm identity. And he says, thou worm Jacob. He says, I will help thee. The Lord, notice, the Lord and thy Redeemer. The Holy One of Israel. The Lord. That speaks of the Father. And thy Redeemer. That speaks of who? The near of kin. Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Born in a manger in Bethlehem. Kin to us. Notice, that's an amazing thing. This is the Old Testament. But God the Father, this verse tells us that God the Father is one with His Redeemer, yet distinct from... His Redeemer. Two persons, but one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father shares His help with the Redeemer. He says, fear not. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer. He will help thee. I, that is the Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Will, that's a promise. Help, that's what we need. You, that's you. (laughs) He will help you. And there's one verse I want to look at in this passage. If you go to chapter 48, because I looked up these 23, and I prayed over them, and God led me to this one, which I thought was so beautiful. If you look in chapter 48, verse 17 and 18, 
the one who helps us, look what he will do. He says to us, we already read, fear not. That's the blank there. But look at Isaiah chapter 47, please, and verse 17 and 18. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God. Isn't that something? Again, there is absolutely zero question of who Jesus Christ is. He is Lord. He is God. The deity of Jesus Christ is absolutely foundational to our faith. He is the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee in the way that thou shouldest go. So, The Lord is leading His people out of this captivity, out of this sense of being trapped. And He says, I will lead you, so don't be afraid. That's the first thing. Don't Whatever you're going through today, can I remind you? You don't have to be afraid. You have help. The Lord will help you. And then He says, and I will teach you. Look what He says. I'm going to teach you He says, how to profit, to profit. Now, he's not talking just about financial profit here at all. But the the reality is, we want to live a life that is profitable. Financial does enter into it because we can't survive without money, right? But here he says, I'm going to teach you much more than just how to make a financial profit. I want you to know what's truly valuable in this world, in this life. I want you to have a life that has true meaning and value. And then I want to lead you in the way that you should go. Because, beloved, this world has a lot of vain things that want your attention. This world is saying, you want a profit in this world? Then you've got to, to bow to the idols of this society. You've got to have the treasures and of wickedness of this society but the proverb says that the treasures of wickedness do not profit us in the day of wrath we need from the lord what is truly profitable and you know what it is look at the next verse 18 oh that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments then had thy peace that's what I call real profit. Are you living with peace today? Because our Redeemer is the Prince of Peace. He says, then thy peace had been as a river. If you had listened to the Word of God and gone in the way, he says, again, look at that verse, and leads thee by the way that thou shouldest go. And I'm thinking of Isaiah 53 in this same passage of Scripture. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned what? To our own way. You see, He leads us in the way we should go because without His leading as our shepherd to lead us out of captivity as our Redeemer, we don't know the way to go. We don't know the way ourselves. We need His Word. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to me. Then your peace had been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. So the first truth of our Redeemer is He leads us out of captivity when we've lost our way. The second, if you go to one of the most famous passages of Scripture 
that uses this word, Job, chapter 19. And I do not know how Job knew to say this. But there is Job. And in Job we find this truth about our Redeemer, that He lives with us through trials that could absolutely crush us. You've had trials. Have you ever been almost crushed by sorrow, temptation, financial, physical problems or difficulty? He lives with us through those crushing trials, our Redeemer. So the question I ask here is, how can we survive times when we feel like we are losing our mind? I think Joe probably felt that. When he was being crushed, when his wife, was distant from him and didn't want to get near him because Job had bad breath. When his children lost respect for him and despised him, his servants wanted nothing to do with him. He was forgotten by his brothers and relatives. Job, you know what he looked like when he was suffering so? You know what he looked like? Scary. The dude was scary. You know, when you are suffering and about to die, your physical appearance can completely change. You don't look like yourself anymore. You look scary. I've seen cancer eat up people, and they just look completely different. That's how Job looked, because look what it even describes. Have you ever heard that expression, he made it by the skin of his teeth? You know where they get that from? Job, chapter 19, verse 20. It's right here. He made it by the skin. Job had as much skin on his teeth as he had on his body. The skin on his teeth was as thick as the skin of his body. That's, that's kind of like what he's saying in Job chapter 19, verse 20. That's why I say this guy, he was suffering so much. He says, my bone cleaves to my skin. So he was skin and bones. And then he says, and my flesh and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. If I didn't have skin on my teeth, I would, I would be dead. Wow, that's something, isn't it? How are you going to survive moments like that? But the amazing thing is, Job has such a conviction in this passage, and we know it. Verse 25, what does it say? Can you read it with me? Job 19, 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see. I shall see. And mine eye shall behold, and not another. That's an amazing statement that the Holy Spirit was in Job and giving him this truth and teaching him of Jesus Christ, his Redeemer. He says, I know my Redeemer liveth. And again, remember now in Job's day, a Redeemer was a, a, a human help, somebody who would humanly extricate you from a disastrous situation and pay a price and rescue you because they, they had a consideration of your situation. So they came alongside you as your near relative and they would bail you out. And so he says, I have a Redeemer But he's not just a human friend. He's my Lord. And I know that he's alive. And that's his conviction. I know my Redeemer lives. Is that your conviction today? 
He's alive. Jesus Christ is the Lord of life. He's the resurrection and the life. I know my Redeemer lives. And that's his conviction, but notice his expectation. His expectation is, I shall see him. I shall see him with my own two eyes. That's an amazing thing. I shall see God. And this is the hope of God's people, isn't it? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And when we die out of this body, we will see Jesus Christ. And seeing Him, we will be like Him. We will see Him as He is. What a Redeemer we have. And I don't know all... I'm not certain of all what was going on in Job's life these thousands of years ago. What his full understanding of... How much of the Bible did he have? He didn't have one word of the written word of God. Everything Job knew, it's because of God revealed it to them. One way or the other, God was revealing himself to man before there was a written word through visions and dreams and, and other ways, no doubt. But the point, what I thought about was with Job was he was in such a desperate situation that he knew that if God could take his body after it dies and goes into the grave, and he kind of talks in very graphic terms, but he says, the, the worms are even going to eat my flesh. The, I'm going to die and go into a grave, and, and my inner organs are all going to just disintegrate, and then worms are going to come into the coffin and, and eat my flesh. But Job believed that God could take that flesh eaten by worms and raise it up again. (laughs) Raise it up again. And I will see the Lord in this body raised to be with Him because He's the resurrection and He'll raise me up and I'll see Him. I know He lives and I will live with Him. Isn't that amazing? And if He could do that, He can get you out of your situation you're in. If he could do that, what can he do? What can he do? Anything. What can he do? There's there's nothing he can't do. If he can do that, and he can. So that's Job's expectation. I shall see God. Job's conviction. I know my Redeemer lives. And so we have a Redeemer who leads us out of captivity. And he lives with us through crushing trials. And lastly, go to Psalm 19, please. Psalm 19. And what's amazing about this psalm, it's about the Word of God. And the first part of the psalm is about God's book of nature, which declares the glory of God. The heavens declare, you know that verse, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. So the first part of the psalm is is of God's book of nature, the world he has made. The second part of this psalm is of God's book of scripture, the the word he has inspired. So this psalm is really focused on the word of God, the the world he has made speaks to us of his glory, and the word he has inspired speaks to us 
of his glory. But then at the end of the psalm, he gets to the practical, the very practical here. And I want to read Psalm 19, if you could just follow with me from verse 10. And I would like to read to the end here. He says that the word of God, just talking about the word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. And, them that, and let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent of the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my last word of the psalm. The last word of the psalm. The psalm that is about two great books. The book of nature, which tells of his glory. And the book of the inspired word, which tells of his glory. And guess who gave us these two books? The Redeemer. This psalm is really about the Redeemer and how He can deliver us. He can liberate us and deliver us from the control of sin through the Word of God. That's what this psalm is about. How He can free us and deliver us. So the question I ask, very practical, how can we be delivered from sin having dominion over us? And there's not one person here, I should have your attention because all of us know The incredible power of sin to rule our lives, our behavior, and our thinking. And this psalm tells us how we can be delivered from the rule and reign of sin. Because we have all felt the power of temptation, have you not? And I'm just going to go through these quickly, but there's a few things I want to say. Number one... To overcome sin's dominion, we must desire and delight in God's word. You know that. More to be desired are they than gold. We have to see, is God's word really that that special to you? More to be desired than gold? This is what, what is the world after? (laughs) We need to be after God's word. Because there are treasures, unsearchable riches in the Bible that you've not yet found. I've not yet found. Let's keep digging. Let's keep searching the unsearchable riches of God's Word, desiring God's Word. Our Redeemer, it says He gave Himself for it that He might redeem us from all iniquity. And the way we stay out of sin, dear friends, is by the Word of God. The second thing, in verse 11, He says, who can understand, uh, verse 11... He says, in keeping of them, there's great reward. So in other words here, what we need to do as believers is obey the Bible. And as you obey the Bible, you will will have joy. You will have the reward of joy and peace. And experience the joy and peace. Experience the reward that obedience brings. There is joy in serving Jesus, we sing. That's true. So rejoice in the reward of obedience that we have now. And then the next thing is we must prayerfully ask God for deliverance from sinning arrogantly. Now notice what he says in verse 13. He says, keep back thy servant also from what? From what? Presumptuous sin. You know what presumptuous? It's translated almost every time in the Old Testament in our King James. You know how it's translated? Proud. 
Arrogant. That's what it means. Presumptuous sin is when you, you say to yourself, and I bet you we all have said this to ourselves at one time or another. We say, I'm going to do this just once. No one will find out about it. And it won't hurt anybody. But I'm going to do it. And I know it's wrong. And you've done that. All we like sheep have gone astray. Presumptuous sin is sin committed in arrogance and pride. Thinking it's not going to... I've had drunkards who've destroyed their home and thrown away all their riches tell me, oh, but I haven't hurt anybody with my sin. Do you see how deceptive sin is? I can get away with it just once. No, you can't because the one who commits sin is a slave to it. Admit it, you're enslaved to it. That sin you can't stop. But the Lord can give you victory over its dominion. Prayerfully, prayerfully say, God, forgive me for sinning arrogantly, presumptuously, willfully, thinking this won't hurt me or anybody else. Forgive me, Lord. We need to go to God in prayer for the deliverance. And then, let God's word replace, that's the blank, replace, that's the New Testament principle, put off and put on. Put off the old, put on the new. Replace your thoughts and meditations, let the words of my mouth and the meditations, and I put here in in the blank, In your notes, let God's word replace your heart whisperings. That's your meditations and the words of your and the words uh, and the words of your mouth with His word. Replace your heart whisperings and your words that come out of your mouth that lead to your actions and sinful behavior. Replace those things with the word of God. Now, I want you to think about this word for just a moment. He says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Can I give you a clue to the book of Psalms? Psalm 1, he says, but my, I will meditate in the law of the Lord. How often? Day and night. That's the godly man's meditation. He's meditating on the word. Do you know Psalm 2 uses the, that same word meditation? It says the heathen imagine or meditate a vain thing. So everybody meditates. What are you meditating on? This word meditate, it actually speaks about your whisperings to yourself. What you say to yourself that no one hears. You whisper to, how many of you whisper to yourself? And I'm convicted. Some of the things that I whisper to myself, I need to repent of. How about you? The heart whisperings. Of the soul. That's what he's talking about. When you mutter your complaints and you mutter your anger. Why'd they say that to me? You mutter your bitterness. You mutter, you mutter your lies. I need a drink. I got to have a cigarette. You know, I mean, you mutter. You whisper. Your, your, those are your meditations. And we need to replace our heart whisperings that are full of anger 
And the Bible speaks of this in the book of Isaiah 59. We don't have time to turn there, but he talks about the whisperings of the heart that, that are lies and that lead people then to live in lies. People whisper lies and then live in lies. People whisper anger and they live in anger. People whisper to themselves some kind of sinful behavior and then they live in that. If you sow a thought, you'll sow the words. And you sow the words, you'll sow the deed. And you sow the deed. And you'll sow a a habit. And you sow a habit. And you sow a destiny. Watch what you think. Watch what you whisper. God sees and hears those whispers. And the last thing, and this helped me, this helped me. The last thing is, see your words and those little heart whisperings. See them as sacrifices. Those are the sacrifices of your life. You know know the passage, Romans 12. We are a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed. To be a living sacrifice. So that means that the words that come out of our mouth need to be acceptable. You see that word in the text? Acceptable. And if you look that up, Leviticus 22, verse 20 and 21. Those are the verses. Leviticus 22, verse 20 and 21. We don't have time to turn there. But that passage talks about that word acceptable is used to describe a sacrifice that was without blemish, a sacrifice that was acceptable to be offered to God. So he's saying here, let the words of my mouth and the whisperings of my heart, the meditations, the inner thoughts of my heart that that no one sees but God does, let them be like a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And I have to run through the grid of what is acceptable to God with my words and with, my, with the whisperings and meditations of my heart. And if it's not acceptable to God, I need to repent right there. Because if you want to get dominion over sin, you've got to stop the sin at the thought of it. Right there. Amen? Amen. Stop the sin at the very thought And then bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. What a great Christmas message this is. (laughs) Because this is why Jesus was born. To deliver us. And to be our redeemer. And to lead us out of captivity. Out of feeling trapped in our lives. Because we're free in Jesus Christ. He lives with us through all kinds of calamity and crushing trials. Because he's our redeemer who lives. And he could raise me up out of the dust one day to stand before him and see him. He could do anything. There's nothing impossible with God. And he liberates us. And he frees us from the control of sin. And so thank you Lord that you're my redeemer. You're my strength. He is my strength because I don't have the power to control my thoughts myself. Say, I can't do that. Yes, you're right. You can't. But when you surrender to Jesus, he's the redeemer. He can help you. He's our strength. And the last word, even in the Hebrew text of Psalm 19 is redeemer. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you for your kind attention. I trust that God speaks to your heart today. And that we would all love Jesus because He loves you so much. He laid behind the glory of heaven and took on flesh and went to the cross 
for you, to redeem you, so that you would be His. And how many would say today here, today, Pastor Matt, if I were to die today, I know that I will see God. I know I will be like Job. I have that conviction. He's my Redeemer, and I will see Him because I've been born again. I'm saved by His grace, and I'm seeking to live for Him. I'm not perfect, but I am His child, and I am saved. Can I see your hand today? Just put it up and hold it there and say, Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You're my Redeemer. I praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for your dear people. You may put your hands down. Is there anybody here who'd say, Pastor Matt, I couldn't put my hand up today, but I need Jesus Christ as my Redeemer. If you're here today and you're not saved, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this moment that God would touch your heart and that you would call upon the Lord today and even be saved. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sin so that I can have eternal life. I need to be saved and born again. Is there anyone? May you put your hand up. Just put your hand up. Can I pray for you today? God bless you. God bless you, brother. I see that. Pastor Carmine. Anyone else? Anyone else? We want to pray for you, brother. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord, now for this day. Lord, please work. Thank you. You're a great Redeemer. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, the Holy One. And we praise you, Lord. Bless every heart. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, those heart whisperings that are so carnal at times, so selfish and angry. Forgive us, Lord. And then, Father, open up any heart and every heart that's not saved to be saved today. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing as we close. There is.